I am my partner's addiction. What do I do now? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. Tyler, how's it going? Good, man. You sound like you got a cold today. Uh, I got a little bit of a stuffy nose going on, but you know, we're getting into like spring and summer. This stuff should be going away. I don't it's know what's maybe going hay on. fever stuff or something going on. I do get that in the spring, so maybe it's allergies. So, yeah, we've got these like massive trees in our front yard. They're like the most beautiful trees for like one week out of the year when they blossom. They smell amazing. The bees are all over the place but they light everybody up with like hay fevers. <laughs> it's like, it's like a catch 22, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some like analogies to recovery in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure out, we could break but... that down for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, talk about breaking down recovery. Uh, let's, let's just dive in with our guest here. So McKenna, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, if you could just give us a bit of context and a little bit of background as to what's going on and then ask away. Okay. Um, my husband and I have been married for 18 years this week. We've got four kids. Um, we met and got married really quickly. I don't think either of us were in super healthy places mentally at the time, but you know, made it work anyway. And the last about six, maybe six or seven years ago, I really started to get healthy, um, physically, mentally, spiritually, and made a lot of really big changes, lost a lot of weight. Um, and the more that I improved, the more my husband seemed to be kind of spiraling. He, um, like he couldn't handle me talking to other people or he wanted to know every text message that I was sending and what was said. And he constantly felt like I was talking about him or, um, you know, we had, we're LDS and at the time we're living in another state and working with the young 20 year old missionaries in our ward, he felt like I was flirting with them all the time. I mean, it, it just got really intense. Um, and it's gotten to the point he, you know, he's sneaking onto my laptop and logging into my social media to read messages and wants to text constantly throughout the day. Um, yeah. He just, nothing satiates his need to know what's going on in my life. I mean, at the end of the day, we talk and um, rather than just, hey, how was your day? And me filling him in on the highlights, I, I really get interrogated on the details of every conversation that was had. And, um, and I just, I don't know what to do anymore. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been to therapy or anything like that? Yeah. And and what, what's kind of transpired with therapy? Um, so we've been three or four different times and every time it just sort of fizzles out because he's like, he'll go through the motions, but he's not 
really internalizing anything. Nothing's really sticking. He doesn't. Um, in fact, we, I had one, one therapist who just pulled me aside and said, he knew that our financial situation was tricky at the time and just said, I feel like I'm wasting your money because we're not getting anywhere. I, I don't know well, if you should even bother. Would you do couples work? Was it like a couples session? And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More yeah. recently this last year, we started with someone new again and we were both doing individual work and couples work. And, and the, the gentleman we were working with in couples work just said, we can't do this. There's nothing like he needs to work on his individual stuff before we can even dive into this couple stuff. Yeah. So McKenna, this, uh, this pattern has just gotten worse over the last few years as you've tried to improve yourself or has it always been there? Um, no, it's, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Okay. So the more that you improve yourself, the more strain there is basically on, on the relationship. It's almost like the better you get, the more, <laughs> the more it feels like you're pulling away from him. And so he, tries to cling yeah. to it, but he's clinging to it, not by getting better himself, but by trying to chase down his own safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, which has driven me at this point. I mean, we're separated right now. I asked him to leave uh, just the last couple of months. The, the, has, is there other like compulsive behaviors and acting out and then secrecy around those behaviors going on? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, he had decided to uh, change the industry he worked in. We were in a situation where we could, you know, use our savings to put him through some schooling if he wanted to um, get a better job. And he chose to do that. And it was something that I knew he's a very blue collar worker, which is great, but he wanted to become a software engineer. And um, I think in his mind, that was, that somehow would have been better. Not that it mattered to anybody else, but he ended up, we invested tens of thousands of dollars in him going to this schooling. And he, at the, at the very end of the schooling, he let me know that he had been cheating during the entire um, course and like purchasing projects online and turning them in on, on his, as his own. And, um, hmm. so there was a lot of lying that had been going on then. Um, there was just a couple of months ago when I asked him to leave, it was because I had just found out that he had been fired from his job because he was using the company credit card. He wasn't supposed to be, um, lots of, dishonest behavior. I, you know, I've never, I've always suspected pornography to be more of an issue than I'm aware. I, I caught him one time when we were really newly married and, um, he says that that's not an issue, but with all the other lying and things, it's just always, I've always wondered. So you don't know what you don't know. Like you, you don't, you're not on stable ground there in terms of really knowing what's going on. Yeah. 
But there are the patterns there, Brandon, that, uh, you know, if you look at like the secondary, what we call the secondary characteristics of like a compulsive behavior or an addiction, you get those things like omitting things and minimizing things and lying and dishonesty and almost as if it's a habit. And, and it would also make sense that if that stuff is kind of in the background, that when you live a life that isn't trustworthy, you also view your relationships from the same lens. Which means that you're, because of how you see yourself, you begin to see everyone else as if they think like you do, right? So it would make sense that if he's got these issues in his life where there's not quite true honesty and integrity established yet, that he's going to look around at you or anyone else that he wants to be close to or could represent a threat or some pain. And he's going to see you through those same eyes going there. The default is she's not to be trusted. Now I've got to find the trust instead of I can trust and I'm going to go with that right now. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask. So, so Tyler, I don't want to, I think both you and I, Tyler can, can say, wow, we've seen this uh, a million times and there's a lot more going on than, than what McKenna knows. And, but, 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 but before we go there, I, I want to back up a little bit. I want to ask you, McKenna, um, with this, some of this anxiety, this codependent behavior that he's having in terms of consuming you and needing you to, to be a certain way and being really jealous, um, what, in what ways did you respond at first and has that shifted over time? Um, initially I, it was just shocking to me. So I would, you know, he, I think the first thing I can remember really him getting attached to was I have a cousin who we're really, really close. We text all the time and um, I share just about everything with her and vice versa. And so he would get really curious about what was going on there. And I would show, I would just show him my phone. Like, I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on? Read it there. This is what's there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of that to just sort of placate him. Um, eventually it was like, I, I needed an outlet. Like I, I, my parents were really good when we were very first married about, listen, what's between you and him is between you and him. And we don't want to be part of your fights. And then when you go make up, we're not a part of that. And we still have angry feelings. So please leave us out of things. But we got to a point where it was like, I, I need the support. I can't function in this marriage by myself. And so I was venting and sharing with them and getting their advice. And um, so that would infuriate him and we would just fight. And I would just kind of throw my hands up and go, I, I don't know what you want me to do. I can't carry this by myself. And I don't have you as my partner to lean on. I need somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, which then of course would exacerbate all of his feelings. He'd feel like we were all ganging up on him. And um, more recently, I it's, it's just been me saying, I'm not going to answer that question. I, when he asks, you know, I have a, my cousin married my ex-boyfriend from when I was 15, his brother. So rarely but occasionally we run into each other at some kind of a family function and um he messaged me on facebook and said hey how are you but i 
replied. It was very brief, very platonic, no interest there on my part. Um, but he, he'll ask me randomly, have you heard from him? When's the last time you heard from him? And initially, you know, I'm going, here's my Facebook. You want to look, you can see it. There's nothing there. And now it's just, I'm not going to answer that because even if I show you, that's not enough. It's not going to make a difference. Right. So I've just sort of stopped and started cutting him off. Just, just a straight kind of like, we're not going there. Nothing at all. Okay. Um, when you guys talk about this stuff, there's a tendency like in, in most couples, when there's a situation kind of like this, where, where you can get lost in the details of the questions. And then the discussion really is about, let me see your phone or let me see these texts or let me see like, but, but do you guys ever get to a, like the deeper issues that are driving all of that stuff? Or do you stay stuck on the, on the, the details of the conversation? Um, I feel like I, I tend to go to the deeper stuff. <laughs> um, he, he's got clear abandonment issues with, um, his upbringing was really hard. His dad left when he was really young. His, his parents were married, divorced, married, divorced again. And then his dad took off for good. Um, and his mom wasn't great either. And then she just passed away this last fall. So I know he's dealing with a lot of internal stuff from all this childhood trauma. And, um, and so I'll often bring that up that it's like, he's trying to use me to fill this void in to heal all this trauma rather than actually working through all this trauma that he, mm -hmm. he needs to deal with. But um, yeah, he definitely stays hung up on the details. Mm -hmm. When you, when you kind of go there. So if, if we were like to just kind of outline the cycle, then the way that we're starting to picture it here, something inside of him. And it sounds like from your perspective, he's feeling insecure or scared or <clears throat> insignificant, a largely based from some of his past stuff. He comes to you, but he packages it up in the form of, let me see your phone or let's talk about this guy or let's do whatever else it is. In the past, you did that. You realized that wasn't working you step into that stream actually at the level of the emotional problem instead of the question, the detailed question. And you say, Hey, I, I'm not sure that showing you this history is actually going to solve the issue. I I'm afraid that maybe it's your abandonment from your, your dad or other, the, these other things. What's his next response? Um, usually to say, I mean, it's usually blaming, blaming me. Well, but if you, I mean, it's, it's simple. Why are you, why are you not showing me? Why wouldn't oh. you just show me? You not showing me means that there's something that you're hiding. You know, it just, we tend to spiral like that. And then so, I choose so to just then walk he meets away. you back at the same level he was at the non-vulnerable, like, yeah, but just show me, show me, show me, show me. And you go, well, that's not going to solve the issue here. And eventually where it's gotten to is now, instead of even doing that, you're just like, we're done. Yep. out. I'm not talking anymore. And then, and then I imagine that probably exacerbates the cycle on his side because yes. it feels like to him, it feels like just a repeat, a reenactment of the abandonment that he's felt his whole life. Right. Yeah. I, my choice is then confirming everything he, he believes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the, this is a really tough position to be in McKenna. So you're, I mean, this is, I'm going to say a really dirty word, so brace yourself, but, um, this is codependency to the max. So he's consuming you. He's needing you for his self-worth. He's so, so he's, we, we call it that he's addicted to you. He's, he's extremely codependent with you as a result of his, of his trauma. And if you take a step back and if I were to dig in with him and like really get a picture of the, the little ins and outs of his trauma experiences, then it makes total sense why he's showing up this way with you. And your, your like space of healthiness with him is a combination of two things that feel like they contradict. Um, it's an increase in compassion for him and, and staying steady with your boundaries at the same time. So like really seeing his pain, really understanding why he is the way he is, but not letting that get you to give in so that, that you're stuck back in that same resentful place of feeling used because he is trying to use you. Yeah. Um, and, and so it takes some real strength to be able to say, I'm not going to take personally your craziness here. Your anxiety is coming at me. I'm not going to take this personally. You can accuse me of all these things. I'm not going to stay in a conversation like that, but I'm going to have compassion for you as to why you're coming to me that way. And then I'm going to, and, and what your boundary does is it pushes it back on him of, Hey, this needs to be dealt with. Like you, you need to work through this. He has demons inside of him. I believe that are raging and they need to be dealt with or else he'll continue to stay this way. And it might end your marriage if he's unwilling to deal with those demons. Right. Um, but it's a tough position to be in McKenna. It's not fair to you. Um, Brad, what, you're, what you're saying though, and I think this is important is that when, when you're in a, when anyone's in a cycle like this, the tendency when you get burned out, like where you're at McKenna right now is either to just throw up your hands and be like, stay away. I'm not talking peace out walls up, or it's to get defensive and then fire something back about how, well, you're not trustworthy and this and that and the other. And then either way you're in drama, either way, it's either way at the end of the day, you don't like how you feel about how you're responding. Right. And that's, and that's the part that Brandon, I think you're bringing up is that's why it needs both of those things at the same time, which is I can see you. I can even show that I see you. And I'm not the answer. So right. I'm going to have boundaries. And, and what we try to do with a partner who's in your situation, McKenna, is to say, how do we make sure that you're doing the work you need to do to keep your heart compassionate? And, and then where are the boundaries and, and how, what are the good responses to try to help put the ball back in your partner's court where he might be most likely to get the help that he needs so that you can go to bed on a clear conscience and go, okay, I did the best I could to love him. And I also protected myself and my own values. Yeah. Right. It's Brené Brown's big thing. You know, what, what boundaries do I need to have intact to stay in my integrity and be as generous as I possibly can be toward him with my thinking. Right. And so, and that's that space for you to, to get into. Um, I mean, let's, 
let's just be clear here. He has an attachment disorder or an anxiety disorder that's, that's going on. And as long as you're willing to be the drug and, and be a part of this, then you'll actually be a part of the problem. Right. And so to hear that you're separated right now, McKenna, I'm actually thinking that's probably a good thing. Um, it, d do you want divorce? Do, what, what, what do you desire here? Um, I've never wanted divorce, mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely at a point where I j I'm not feeling a lot of hope. Mm. Um, the person that he's become, it's really hard for me to feel like I love him so deeply, but I, I, there's not like a level of partnership and respect and, I, I haven't felt in love with him in a really long time. Um, and yeah, so I'm very much contemplating walking away mm -hmm. at this point. And that's okay. That's okay. And, and even if you go through the divorce process, you can, you can stay in that space of generous compassion for him and being boundaried and moving forward with being more separate from him. Um, if you need to go down that road, if that's what God's telling you to do, um, that's okay, McKenna. And that might be one of the biggest gifts that you give to him, believe it or not. I know it sounds I think, backwards. I think, it, I think it's absolutely a gift if, if it's paired up with that love and compassion. If it's, if it's just you getting so exhausted at the end of your rope that you just kind of say, well, I'm going to do exactly what your dad did. Boom. Peace out. That's, that's, that's still going to be something he'll have to work with, but it's a, it's a greater gift with that idea of, I see you. And I actually, what I just heard in you, I heard it in the tone of voice. I heard it in, in your words. You don't necessarily want to be making the choices you're making. You're, you're making those choices because those feel like the best options given the circumstance you're in. And, and boy, if your husband is listening to this, I hope he can hear that. I hope he could hear that in your voice, that there's, that there's actually some real feeling there. And, it's, and hopefully he could hear that as a call to action rather than some statement of shame. This, this is... <laughs> This is not a couple's issue. It, it, the, the consequences and the symptoms come out in the relationship, but this is not a couple's issue. And that's why going to, to couples therapy and working this out as a couple is going to be a waste of your time and money. Um, this, this first and foremost needs to be an individual effort to do trauma work and healing there. Um, has to, has to happen first. And then the relationship can thrive after those faulty core beliefs and the, that deep trauma has been healed some. Um, and so, yeah, it's frustrating. It probably feels like you beat your head against the wall a little bit, trying to fix this in your relationship. You can't fix this in your relationship. Um, what you can do McKenna is, is back off and allow him to be out there uh, kind of on his own to try to navigate fixing this because you, you've got to get out of the way. Yeah. yeah. So, so McKenna, I'm, I'm wondering on your side of things, you know, this is a hard place. This is a hard place to be for you. What are you currently doing to make sure that you're keeping your own heart intact and that you're making your decisions from as clear of a place as possible? Um, 
how do you take care of yourself right now? Um, diet and exercise are a big, huge piece of the puzzle for me when I'm eating well and moving my body regularly. That helps. I'm in individual therapy. Um, and then I, you know, I've got my relationship with God and I have friends and family and I try to stay busy. I focus on my kids. Um, they're not getting any stability from their dad right now. So that's, you know, one of my main priorities is to make sure that they're at least getting that from me. Is that, is that stuff, uh, it's obviously going to be helping. Is it doing enough for you to be able to stay clear with where you're going and what you're doing? Um, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. You just, you just outlined a lot of like the, the basics in terms of you're keeping connected with other people. You're wrestling with your relationship with God. You're working on boundaries. You're doing your dailies. You're doing some self-care. Um, you're doing all of the kinds of the right things in terms of the textbook answers for recovery right now. It's sometimes even when you do all the right things, it feels like it's just barely keeping you going. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're getting a, a massive benefit from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Feels a bit like survival mode. Yeah. But, but the fact that you're doing all of those things has probably got you in a much better place than you otherwise would be. For sure. So, so Brandon, I, I want to just throw this to you to, to brainstorm for a second. Like for McKenna, she's doing all the right things. I mean, everything you just heard is really solid stuff. Mm -hmm. If someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm still tired and I'm burned out and I still got my walls up really big. Is there anything else that you would say that would be the right kind of thing to add to the recovery work that's already being done? Well, I, I think whenever we feel anything, whether it's resentment or exhaustion or just feeling burned out, um, we can, uh, one, one of our problems as human beings is it's, is, is that we're too good at tolerating pain and we don't listen to the pain. And so what happens is over time, it just wears us down and wears us down and wears us down. Um, for, for you, McKenna, to stop, if you're feeling some of those things and, and ask yourself, what, what is it telling me about me, uh, about what I need and, and what this means moving forward, what God wants me to do. Like the function of an emotion is to communicate to us. And there's these longstanding emotions that start to happen that we just put deep down and we don't really listen and we just survive. Um, so, you know, some of these emotions, I can tell McKenna, there's some right there on the surface for you and you're feeling a lot of things. And what, what do you think they are telling you about you and, and, and what needs to be done. Oh, man. Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot for people who can't see the video. It's almost like I can see a swirl of several things running through your brain right now. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Um, I, I've been feeling a lot lately, like I need to, um, I, I need to figure out 
my future, regardless of what happens between he and I, mm-hmm. um, that, that I need to let go of him, which is really hard. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guilt around that. I mean, even this, this last few days, um, I, I had asked him, you know, Hey, can we just for a few days, if you need to know something about the kids, if we have like something having to do with finances that we need to discuss, that's great. But other than that, can we just have a few days apart and not talk at all? Um, and I get bombarded with novel sized text messages and, and reminding me of how I'm, I'm doing this to him. And I'm, if I would do things differently that, that he would be able to get better. There's just, there's so much guilt that I just, I need to let go of the weight. What do you do when he sends those novel sized texts when you've asked him already to take a break and not, not talk? I ignore them at this point. Ignore them. What, what's the guilt? Is the guilt about your kids? Is that the, the a big part of the guilt here? What's the guilt about kind of moving forward with your life without him? Um, he doesn't have anybody. He'll be completely alone. He doesn't have parents. He he's got two brothers, but they um they live on welfare and. Um, church assistance in Idaho and he doesn't have a close relationship with them. He doesn't have friends. Um, his relationships, even with our kids aren't great. I have my parents and my siblings and my friends, and I've got really great relationships with my kids. Um, I have the support that I need to get through something as hard as a divorce um, and he's got nothing. So, so you I'll feel be abandoning guilty. him and putting him through everything that he's afraid of. Okay. And you're feeling guilty of that because you can see that part of that in your choice, even if it's for good health, part of that will be a reality. Yeah. Okay. Does it tell you you're a bad person? Is there something legitimate to the guilt? <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if yeah, there's maybe a, if I was a good wife, I would I would be able to do more. If, or if I loved him better, I could do more. I, I'm wondering if McKenna is there another way to look at, at it like completely different than than down this train of thought? Because this is what I've heard that I'm going to do the very thing that, that has happened to him over and over again. Um, He's going to be completely alone. Um, Maybe if I could have done better, what's another way to to view this? I don't know. <laughs> I've been so stuck in that place for so long. I don't, I don't know how else to look at it. It's really fascinating. Um, Michael Singer in one of his books, he talks about a person with like a rejection wound um, 
you know, they, they're afraid they're going to get rejected. So then they get in relationships and they look for all the ways that they're getting rejected. And what it does is they start to act as if they're getting rejected and then they create rejection in their relationship. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's the very thing they fear is what they create. Um, now this is pretty clear of what you're talking about. We're seeing it right in this whole, um, but you're latching on to this, this whole dynamic and process. And what I mean by that, and uh, people listening are probably like, of course, Brandon, how could she not? Right. She's married to him. And, but you're latching onto it, meaning you're believing that you are responsible and a real part of the process of what's happening. And maybe you're not, um, may, maybe you're kind of collateral to what's happening. He's turned you into the drug, so to speak. Right. Um, you have been married for 18 years. You've tried to go to couples counseling um, you're here talking to us right now and you you've gotten healthy yourself and worked on what's in your control so that you can be a healthy, happy wife and you have fought and fought and fought. And maybe the, like I said earlier, maybe the very thing next step that he needs for him is to go out on his own completely alone to get down to that place, to do his own work. And instead of abandoning him, Maybe by you having your own boundaries and being healthy, you're supporting him, that you are actually supporting him and allowing him to walk, walk those planes and feel that pain without being a soft place for him to land. I know that sounds harsh, but do you see the, the shift in perspective there? Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I would like to maybe just add on to this a little bit, a couple of things. The, the first thing is, is that that's where it comes back to what Brandon was saying earlier. Again, where hearing you say that when you think about leaving him, you think about just the wall. When in reality, if you're doing the things Brandon mentioned, where you're actually saying, I see you, here's the door. Like you can come in. Like I want you in, but I, but I'm not your answer. Right. So, so the boundary is just as much of an opportunity and an invitation as it is a wall. Um, and, and that needs to be seen. And that perspective needs to be seen. If you're seeing the bigger, broader picture, like you are now, I also want to just point something out an observation that I just saw in, in a matter of about three minutes, your body language and your tone of voice were totally different when you said, I'm getting the sense that I need to go on and figure out how to make my life work with or without him. And what you just said, we're like, Oh, I'm so worried. I'm going to be the one who causes all the rejection and this and that and the other. Those were spoken from two different places emotionally. Is that true? Yeah. Which one, which one was more in line with your authentic self and the truth? That, that I need to figure out how to move forward. How do you know that? Um, when I say it, I feel calm. That's it. That's it. This is a perfect example. And I hope our listeners could hear it in your voice that you have a part of you that knows the truth. You have these other parts that are extremely painful and they lead to all these other stories and dialogues and they, because they're painful, they seem to be loud and, and you want to follow those. 
but the work is to continually come back to peace. Like, where do I find peace? And then I need to follow through on those things. But McKenna, and going along with what Tyler's saying, if you find that intuition and that gut feel and, and, and it feels right, even though it feels hard, I just want to warn you of something. Um, we did an episode uh, about a month ago where um, a woman had a boundary with her alcoholic husband and he went out and drank himself to death. Um, and, and we were trying to work with her to, to bring her back to, did you feel good about that boundary? Were you, were you fighting for him? Did you have peace about what you were doing? And that's the hard part, right? Is for you to act in your truth and to have that peace and then surrender him over to God is, is to, to say like, God's got him now. He's not alone. He might feel alone, but I'm not his God. And I can't be his God. So God's got him now. And I feel good about moving forward with, with a lot of compassion for him, but my boundaries as well. Right. And, and, and letting go of the outcome of where he's going to land because he's got, he's got to go through that journey and that process for him. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, I'm, I'm thinking of, like that song by passenger called let her go. And it says, if you love her, you got to let her go basically. And it's like the best shot you have for the relationship to be saved is through this path, which feels like it's actually severing the ties. Yeah. And, uh, but what it is, is it's giving an opportunity now for, I mean, that's, you guys would never be able to have the relationship that you want because right now he's willingly putting himself in a one down position where you have to care for him and you're never going to have an equal partner and he'll never have his self-respect. And that has to change if you guys even want to have a shot. And so yeah. what you're doing now is you're giving it a shot. This is McKenna. This isn't easy. No, nope. <laughs> <Really not. laughs> The good news is you've already gone down the right path pretty far, like focusing on yourself, having boundaries with him. Um, you're not starting from square one with this work. You, you've done a lot of the hard stuff. It, it, you can revert back though. You, you can revert back to the old unhealthiness if you're not careful. And so you got to stay consistent and do that over time until he realizes McKenna's no longer, I can no longer use her that way. Like that's not an option anymore. And so you've got to stay consistent with that. Have we been helpful today, McKenna? Do we even answer your question yet? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think validated more the answer that I knew. Mm -hmm. um, now I just wonder, okay, when, when do I know that I've given it everything and, and that it's time to call it? <laughs> I, I think that's a good question. There's a couple of thoughts that I just add, insert with that as well is that if you already have your gut telling you to continue to move forward with your life, you don't necessarily have to make the decision on the divorce to do a lot of that stuff right now. And, and so you can go and make some of those steps and you take it a step at a time. And, and I'm a pretty firm believer that if you'll do that, it'll sort of unfold itself and manifest itself as 
as the time gets right to make whatever decision you're going to make, whether you stay or you go. I've seen that time and time again. That's great advice, Tyler, is, is when you start to just take one small step forward, you'll know you, it, it, it like, and, and maybe it'll be like, wow, I took three steps forward and it feels like he's shifting some and things are working back towards staying married. Um, or I took three steps forward and what do you know? Like when I, when I went and talked to that attorney or mediator or whatever, it felt really good and I'm not going to die. And I feel a peace about this. So let's just keep moving forward and not stay stuck. Yeah. You've got the benefit of having your gut tell you to move forward and there's room in your own lane to move forward. And so I would almost surrender that and put that question in the peripheral and be like, I know I'm going to have to answer that eventually, but I've got, a few other steps that I can do before I even have to touch that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll do that. And it's just like being in the right game, you know, and you, when you put yourself in the right situation, you start making connections, you start meeting new people, you start learning new things. And eventually you've got a whole new perspective that you never thought you'd have. You're going to get that a little bit. If people just continue to take your steps one day at a time, you're doing the right kind of work. Go, go get yourself marketable for a, a job or whatever other career you want to pursue. Go, go step into whatever else you're feeling the urge to do inside of where you're at right now. And I, I think you're kind of, you're going to land on the right place for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to talk to him too. If he, if he ever wants to come on or, uh, you know, like, because I think there's some, there's some real opportunity for some paradigm shift for him a little bit and refocusing his own work and having some guidance in that direction. Because I, I I have tons of hope for his healing. I do too. He doesn't have to live in this attachment disorder his whole life. It can totally shift, but he's got to be willing to let you go and get you out of the way so that he can do that work. Yeah. And if he will, he's, he's actually doesn't even probably see how fortunate he is that he's got an amazing woman that's ready and willing to do the work. And so if you're listening, there's a couple of ways that this goes when, when these kinds of things happen, you'll either break and you'll go try to find somebody else to consume and you'll lose everything that's here, or you'll take a look in the mirror and realize there are some real things that need to be changed and that the place to start is in the mirror. And, uh, and if you do that, there's actual, actually a lot of hope. So, um, McKenna, thank you so much for your willingness to come on today. Thank you. This was really helpful. Thanks, McKenna. Have a, have a good day. And you guys, if this was helpful for you, um, please share it with anybody that, that you think it would help. And, and please leave us a, a review and have a great day. We'll see you later.